This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. All right, in the interest of time, I think I'll use my role as moderator to facilitate questions from the audience because I know that there must be a lot out there. I do hope that we will um, be able to discuss a few things, which I'll just sort of use as conversation starters, one being, you know, is there some way in which we can develop some recommendations or best practices for um, how to assess climate. We all agree that it's an important thing, I think, here in this room. Um, We probably all agree, too, that it's not a one-size-fits-all for every campus. So what combination of these different types of strategies, be it um, survey data versus in-depth interview data, is going to be right for which campus, which particular part of the campus, and how do we sort of come to that kind of conclusion. Also, you know, what is the appropriate response when you find evidence of a chilly climate on the campus? So we've been talking all day about how really important leadership from the top is very important and support. But then how do we follow up on these surveys and what what do we do with the information once we find that there is such a climate? So I'm, I'm just throwing that out there in hopes that it will come up in the questions and the conversation. So I would like to take a question from our esteemed <laughs> Vice Chancellor Mo, Mo Stanton, please. Okay, so this this question, I think, uh, was inspired by Matt and Kiernan's uh, presentation, but also came up uh, in others. That is, you mentioned, you said how important it is to use the results of whatever data collection means you have used to begin conversations across the campus. And you stressed that it's important to ask good questions, not the kinds of questions that carry you into the black pit of not getting anywhere. Um, So I would like to hear a little bit more about what are the kinds of, how do we identify the kinds of good questions we can ask for kind of catalyzing those conversations? Uh, So I'll give you one example that we just learned about actually from one of our member institutions last week. Uh, we were kind of doing a, a check-in call to see how they were doing with the areas where they were struggling. And, and they had taken a, a good while to really formulate a process, but I think it's one that is, is really uh, respectful of the uh, the depth of the issues they were dealing with. In particular, they were looking at um, problems with perceptions about service load, um, which we all know can cut across uh, gender, race, um, even by division. And so they had gone through the process of looking at what other data they had. So they started really looking at were there actual differences in the way that uh, service was distributed? Uh, what could they measure? What couldn't they measure? And then what they actually did was they, they created a document that framed the problem, not something that uh, necessarily was a, a policy proposal or a recommendation for change, but they really tried to say, this is the kind of institution we are and we are a service-heavy institution. We can't operate unless we do the kinds of things that we do. And here are some of the challenges. Here are some of the things that we need to balance back and forth. And they created a document. They actually posted it on a uh, university senate-moderated page and are now allowing faculty to respond to those things in a, a safe and secure way. And they're going to use those responses to really help um, guide the, the process. What I think was particularly, when I, when I think about your question, what I'm thinking about was the idea that 
they didn't just kind of go in and say, here's the solution, or here are the two or three solutions that I happened to Google before the meeting today. But, you know, we're all smart people that know how to deal with difficult problems. And, and the best thing that we can do is frame the complexity of the issue and then ask you to help us. Does that answer that well enough, Mel? I'd just like to remind everyone to please say their name and where they're from into the microphone. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Ozer. I'm from University of California, San Francisco, and thank you to the panel for that great overview. Um, I guess, you know, um, to start with, Vice Provost Carlson talked about the UC Climate Survey and then Vice Chancellor Navarro referred to it. And while I would say that not all faculty would say those were all perfect uh, questions on that survey, I'm wondering, I'm sort of taking some of what your talk was and some of your themes about it takes a network and faculty data strategies and wondering, you know, we've had this group with UC Advance, if some next steps might be important given that we all have faculty data from a survey, it's uh, the same questions, um, that we really think about how we can really be effective um, as a network in, in using that data and specifically um, pushing on some strategies and some benchmarkings and comparisons and, you know, best practices. So I, I think that would be a wonderful sort of extension of this work. And I don't know if you have any comments about that. but I, I think that that's one of the things that um, the power of a system can provide. And having all of us having undergone that two-year preparatory process and then implementing the climate survey, it would be great if we could utilize it in that way. There are, there's a lot of data there. We could think thoughtfully about how we actually look at that data to really get some answers about the faculty overall within the system. Hi, I'm Cindy Larive. I'm from UC Riverside. I'd like to start by thanking the panel for your great presentations. And I have a comment and then a question. And I, I really respect the point of view that we've heard this morning that uh, institutional change is most easily affected from the top down, but I don't think we should discount uh, the opportunities for individuals or small groups to start to affect change on a more local or departmental or college level. My question is, something that I've become concerned about is, um, one of the things that was brought up in the first presentation is, is this sort of fourth hidden rank of associate professors who then don't progress on to professor. And I've begun to question whether or not that, that can only be looked at at the individual level or whether there's an institutional responsibility for, for that in a, in a very general way. And I, I'm unclear about how to affect that conversation. So I'd like, I'd like some advice. Well, I've uh, been asked by uh, nobody who was at an advanced institution, I assure you, um, if we could look at our data to help uh, look at the pre-tenure data and all the data we have on faculty to help, in, in, in his words, uh, help prevent tenure's mistakes. Um, and uh, I have spent a lot. I spent a lot of time after that remark trying to kind of bring him around to the notion that the institution does bear a great deal of responsibility for the uh, what may become a, a flatlining product, level of productivity. Uh, beyond the the tenure hurdle, um, you know, I think you know all the 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 explanations, right? Um, you know, once somebody gets becomes tenured, all those protections that they had as a pre tenure faculty member are lifted. Um, suddenly, you're teaching more. Uh, you're 
uh, your expectations for research are you know are still are still high. Um, your uh, your service loads are higher, expected to serve in, in many different ways across the institution within the department and to your field. Um, yet, we don't reward any of that work. And this is my, kind of my, the, the thing I have going now, a problem I, my extra grind, is the fact that research productivity, and it is the, the most, you know, we are, uh, in, we are institutions that produce knowledge, and it is the most important thing. It's also, coincidentally, the thing that's most easily measured. Uh, of the three-legged stool of the uh, of the tenure and, and often promotion cases, um, we can measure. We have you know this H index. We have impact factor. We have you know pr- uh, productivity as far as awards and Nobel prizes and these sorts of things. What we haven't been able to measure yet is teaching effectiveness. Um, and I think that there's progress being made there. And I think that will be interesting once we start to measure how effective teachers can be how they can change uh, an individual student from, from input to output, we may be able to start to consider, you know, in, in when we're at the retention moment um, and at the promotion moment, you know, what are we, what are we losing if this person is, uh, is plucked from, from, our, uh, from our institution? And how might we uh, value all the, you know, that, that work that they're doing in the classroom? Now, I'm actually thinking uh, to the other leg uh, is service contribution. Um, we ask so much of faculty, and it's an important part of who we are as institutions. Uh, shared governance is so important. But we do not effectively measure the contributions of faculty to, to that enterprise. Um, you know, we, they, we have these faculty activity reports. Um, there's technology out there to help faculty to streamline the, uh, the addition of uh, faculty to, to add those data to a, to a sort of portfolio. But... Um, but we can't really effectively measure whether one committee, which met once a, once, uh, a year or once uh, a semester for two hours, whether, you know, th- compare that amount of, of effort to the other committee that was very intensive and required a lot of work and leadership on the part of the individual faculty member. We don't even know whether the faculty member really even showed up to the meeting to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my, my non-response data uh, study found that the faculty who are not responding to the surveys are also not showing up to those college-wide or institution-wide meetings. Um, so the, uh, so I would, so sorry to, to go on and on about this, but <laughs> this is my thing, um, is that I'm looking forward to the day when we can actually effectively measure the service contributions, because I think once we start measuring things, they'll become more important, they'll matter more. Just a sentence about sort of the power, again, of our system in that we now have an online process of our advanced system through which we will actually be able to measure you know, time to next action. Uh, when we look, took a look on our campus at who gets accelerated, there was a disproportionate number of men over women receiving accelerated promotions, in part because women didn't know that they could even ask for an acceleration, except for those women who were married to men on our faculty. So that was sort of an interesting twist. But again, we have, we have now access to more data, and we could actually really look at that to determine, is it, is it myth or is it, in fact, a difference in the uh, rate through which people accelerate through and go through our process of merits and promotions? If I could just... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just some, uh, some comment related to, to the questions, basically. In our case, actually, we were able to have the conversation at the university level we developed several initiatives, like you mentioned, from leadership development to mentoring for women to, to develop the policies needed. We had like a, 
writing groups for women associate to full program, you know, because mm-hmm. we end up having the women doing more service, more teaching time. So we've done a lot of things at the university level. The, 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 the main challenge we are having, basically, is how to move that discussion from the university level to the departmental level. Because it was mentioned, you know, most of the climate from the feedback we are getting from the exit interviews, the climate issues are local. So taking mm-hmm. that, especially, you know, I mean, some of the departmental leadership are not really, and some of the departmental, you know, senior faculty are not cooperating. So taking that discussion to the departmental level is really the weak link and, and the challenge we are facing, you know, at this point. Hi, my name is Doug Haynes. I'm at UC Irvine. I have a, a question that may um, complicate matters in terms of uh, adding a different type of uh, survey opportunity. Uh, up to about a third of our faculty go through some form of review each year, either a merit or a promotion. And as I was listening to the great presentations, it occurred to me this might be a terrific opportunity to ask a set of questions that may address satisfaction, productivity, uh, uh, in, uh, the, the degree to which people feel uh, involved, uh, validated within their unit, the department, the school division, or the campus. And, and I'm curious to get your feedback on what's the uh, advantages and disadvantages of constructing an instrument that's administered um, annually uh, at this particular point in time when faculty are, uh, I think they're at a point where the information, the experience is very fresh um, uh, during this period of time. I would, I would just say that, um, so you're talking about in the review itself asking these questions? So post-review, asking for a survey about, about, about that experience? Um, well, first of all, I'll say that absolutely in the, in the review itself, we all know, I mean, if anybody who's been on kind of our side of the equation, which is not in the faculty, but in sort of the staff world, uh, professional staff world, knows that kind of HR best practices is that the review is not a one-way review. It goes both ways. Um, and so the conversation itself is an opportunity for the faculty member to say, you know, this is what I need and what I feel like I need to succeed. Now, you know, the... Uh, one of the questions we ask about, uh, we've asked in our survey, is whether there is, um, uh, we, we talk, we have several dimensions. We don't just ask generally about the tenure or promotion processes uh, themselves, but we ask whether there are annual uh, reviews, whether there are uh, written follow-ups for those reviews, so that there is a, a real um, opportunity to, to make sure that, that the stuff is on, on the books. Um, but we also, uh, so, so through those those sorts of dimensions, it really helps our institutions pinpoint divisionally and then departmentally where possible um, where that system is kind of broken down. Now, we only survey, we, ask, we, we wouldn't ask faculty to take our survey every year, um, but I don't know, has anybody else seen any other, um, uh, any other approach to that kind of a follow-up survey for all, the, all those who have gone through the review process? I mean, we, so we use that kind of broad brush coach instrument to to diagnose where that, prob- that process may be breaking down, but not specifically about that one process alone. I think it's an interesting thought. I th- you have to be concerned a little bit about it. It's an internal tool, and so being careful about how it's constructed so that it's disaggregated or separated from the actual review process itself. So mm-hmm. will faculty be able to be as upfront and authentic as, 
they would if they were having an exit survey kind of thing. So that's always a little bit of a challenge, especially if you're still fairly junior or pre-tenure or whatever the case may be. People are often concerned about that. So you'd have to consider that. And then you'd also at the same time have to consider how are you going to use it? You know, are the departments really going to be, or are they willing and at a point where they're looking for information that's going to help them change? And if that's not the case, then I'm not sure it's going to add. The thing we do here is, you know, it, it takes so long to get through the process. You know, you prepare your packet a year and a half before you actually hear, at least, you know, on our campus. It's getting tighter, but that's one of the things we get back. Hi. Um, I'm a brand-new equity advisor, so this is wonderful for me. I've been learning a lot in the last month and a half. So I have a question and a quick comment. Uh, my question is I've been thinking about the hiring process and how to improve it, and I had this idea of maybe doing some sort of survey, an exit-type survey of the people who were on the short list but either weren't hired or uh, never uh, got an offer or de declined the offer. And if anyone has experience with how to do that, there are some issues with how you would do that uh, I would like to learn from that. Uh, my comment is uh, that a couple of years ago, I remember getting an email from the administration saying, please take this climate survey. It will only take a half an hour. And I remember going to my wife <laughs> saying, here's another administrator who thinks I've got lots of half hours lying around. And mm -hmm. I said, I don't really understand what this is about. You know, global warming, why would the administration ask me about that? And uh, she said, you know, she likes electric cars and solar panels. And she said, you should take this survey. And Halfway through the survey, I realized that, hey, this is about diversity, you know. And, uh, and so just this is maybe either showing you that, you know, something about the white male being the dinosaur in the room or about the 25 brain thing because, I mean, administrators love to toss out, you know, acronyms and climate. We all understand what that means. A lot of people have no idea what you're talking about. So. That's part of that campaign of communication, but I agree with you. A lot of people We've thought about that question. Uh, we're really interested in, in following up with people who you've made the offer to, but they went someplace else. And really, it's something that you can get provost to pay for, um, because wouldn't you want to know why your, your faculty you want most are leaving to go someplace else? Um, so this is something that I don't think really requires foundation support. for. Some, I think institutions could get together and, and work on that one. We're interested in that, too. Although I think one of the real challenges to that is the, the, the small n issue. Uh, and especially in the current faculty labor market where we've got many, many more PhDs than we do uh, new tenure stream positions. So institutions would have to be comfortable with the idea of working collaboratively or perhaps a system um, to really come up with um, a method that's going to allow them to, to think bigger than just what's happening right then, right there at their campus. Thank you. With about three minutes remaining, I think we can take one last, hopefully quick question. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Lynn Gordon from UCLA. My question is, goes back to communication and non-responders. We communicate a lot, or we think we communicate a lot, but yet the messages aren't being seen, either because the delete button is so um, enticing when people get bombarded by hundreds of emails a day, um, so how do we best communicate? An example is we have a monthly mixer, and every month we have people that come that had no idea that this is going on, and yet we've been doing it for a long time. And we do send out emails. We do send out reminders. But email doesn't seem to be an effective way to communicate anymore. 
We have a website. We track how many people come. But again, we're not reaching everybody through the website. Do we need to use Twitter? Do we need to use Facebook? How do we get our message to the constituents? And many of them are hungry for the message. Many of them are hungry for the opportunities. They simply don't read what we send them. Great question. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, yeah. So uh, Robert Groves, he's now the um, provost of Georgetown University, and he used to run the Census Bureau. Um, he, uh, he's actually formulated, he's, a, he's an expert in, non, in survey non-response. Um, and he has got this theory, it's called leverage salience theory. And what it is, is, is that when you're trying to increase your response rates or your, your uptake on anything, really, is you've got to alternate. You've got to diversify the, the messenger and the message. Um, it's got to come from different people within the same message. has got to come from different people within the organization, or you've got to try, and or you've got to try different messages, different leverages, and different saliences uh, for getting people to, to hear you. So if they keep getting the same message from the same office, they're just kind of in this habit of deleting that. That doesn't apply to me. But if you can if this is, again, where networking within your institution becomes so important and why we at Coach, we ask when they build a team to include people from many different offices and all the different corners of the institution that can really use these data and use those people to help invite faculty to participate. Um, so that's just one way to think about what, how can you alternate the message, you know, maybe if you're focusing on the social aspect or maybe the, the kind of professional networking aspect, you know, different things that will appeal to people um, and, and so Try it different. each time you can try it, and you can even try to make it just an, uh, a researchable proposition uh, to see what you find is most effective. And I'll just add to that that I agree with you completely. In fact, we will sometimes go specifically to a di- division chief or a chair and have them be the messenger for us or say, mm-hmm. we have this opportunity. Could you kind of make sure that your junior faculty know that we really want them to participate in this? Or we now have this series of mentors, and we say to the mentors, have your people come to this event. This is going to be beneficial to them. And we also have Twitter and a listserv and Facebook. And, and I don't know which, if you know, any of those are actually getting the messages across. And a lot of times I, I will go down and call people specifically and say, we really would like you. I'd love for you to show up. This is important. We're putting this on for you. Let us know if this is not something you need or you want us to do. I think also I would use those mixers. Because we found like people respond good to food, so we have a lot of social activities, and you know, and then bring those issues there. Then another point is that people respond to their supervisors. So if the message is coming from a central office, so that's why I think it's important to engage the deans and the chairs and make sure that the chairs, you know, are having those discussions. Because when a faculty member receives a message from their dean, it's more effective than they receive it from even the provost or the vice. Because people look for, you know, uh, you know, everybody makes sure that they respond to their supervisor. So we need the message to come. From all the levels. Well, we do use the chairs, although I'm not sure that the chairs always send it out to their faculty. Mm -hmm. But our best attended event was one where I blended the frozen margaritas. (laughs) And then we got, so maybe that's That's the answer right there. It's that easy. I think frozen margaritas is an excellent note to end the session on and leads us naturally into hoping and asking you to continue this conversation on into lunch. And one more time, can we please thank our wonderful panel of speakers. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.